0: I'm Glenn Bowerman, and this is a Spacing Radio Municipal Election Special. All right. Welcome everyone to the uh, spacing podcast uh, election panel with uh, Sean McAuliffe. He's a spacing senior editor and Toronto Star columnist and Kunal Chaudhary, uh, who's a writer and educator uh, and associate editor of the West End Phoenix. Uh, so first of all, thank you both for, for joining me for this conversation. Hello, Glenn. All right. I, I, I wanted to begin this uh, on like an exciting note, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, so uh, my first comment to, to both of you is that has it seemed a little too quiet? Uh, I mean, uh, you, you, Sean and, and John Lawrence and other people have been commenting on social media. Like, why is there only one debate? Where are these debates uh, uh, for for a municipal election in in the fourth largest city in North America, the largest city
1: in Canada? I haven't heard a lot uh, about this election. No, it's a long election. It starts on May 2nd. Um, used to be even longer. Um, so the first few months are kind of sleeper, right? we mm-hmm. just kind of people doing their thing, going to pancake breakfast and, you know, fundraising and and whatever. But it really kicks in after Labor Day. But now that's three weeks ago, and it still seems really quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, it has not electrified the uh, populace, um, <laughs> nor, the, nor the writers of politics, to be honest, um, Though we wish it would. Um and and that's, that's a problem. Like you said, like this should, this is a, a massive democracy. It's one of the biggest democracies in North America. And we're just kind of sleepwalking through it.
0: Yeah. Kunal, have you been seeing things, hearing things, or are you also wishing that, uh, it, you know, that uh, we were hearing a little bit more about this very massive election?
2: You know, I, I feel like if you um, didn't, if you aren't, if you're not on social media and if you're not walking in the right neighborhoods in Toronto, you're not going to even know there's an election happening, right? Um, because, uh, I couldn't help but notice, but on Twitter, there's no hashtag for the Toronto election, mm-hmm. right? Which is how I get, uh, all my, like, specific information about anything. Um, so to find out what people are thinking about it, I,
1: I actually have to search up
2: Toronto election and, and go from
1: there, right? Yeah, on Twitter, it seems like, you know, people are chattering there, but that's where all the, you know, politicos and journalists and et cetera, you know, like the candidates are all doing their thing. So that's actually where there is kind of a conversation, but mm-hmm. Twitter is not, absolutely not the real world. And you go out into neighborhoods and I don't think this is, that's where the conversation is. We might see, it'll be it like it'll, uh, at the end of September 29th is when uh, you're allowed to put signs out. So after that, we'll start seeing some visible, you know, tangible bits of the election. And so that will be interesting. But if, you know, thinking back to the provincial election, um, the sign wars, as they're sometimes called, doesn't necessarily translate to a win. Some people who had the most signs out, you know, lost by a bunch of votes. So um, uh, it'll help us kind of gauge where people are at, but it still won't be, you know, the thing. You still have to go out and talk to people. Yeah, for sure. Well, I wonder, is it democracy
0: fatigue? Uh, just because we did just have a provincial election and we've recently had a, a federal election, there's been a number of by-elections in the city. Uh, is it, is it election fatigue? Is it pandemic fatigue? Is it a bit of both? Or, um, is it that, uh, you know, some incumbent candidates are, are maybe, uh, hoping to coast quietly back into their, uh, previous job?
2: I mean, I think like, the pandemic, the impact of the pandemic can't be overstated, you know, uh, on how people engage with politics. Um I think everybody I speak to is praying that uh, we don't see a repeat of the provincial election, mm-hmm. right? With the the terrible voter turnout. Um and yeah, I think I mean it's 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 very easy to easy to be fatigued by Toronto politics when, you know, our city council doesn't represent doesn't even remotely represent uh, the people in our city.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've had, this is the fair election in about a year mm-hmm. at, at all the levels. And historically the municipal election has the least amount of turnout. It's, it's the level of government that, People pay the least attention to even though it affects people's daily life the most you know if city hall shut down the lights would flicker the water would stop the toilets would stop flushing they'd overflow garbage etc the traffic lights would stop you know all of it Uh, our our lives are ruled every minute by city hall more than any uh, level of government and the irony is that we don't pay attention to it it just kind of coasts um there's the pandemic of course as you're saying but also you know this is the second time we've had this weird Half uh, council since 2018 when Doug Ford chopped it, and so you, now you have less councillors. You have whatever we have 25 now, and mm-hmm. they each represent something like 110,000 people, which is which is what Guelph like or I don't know, sorry like it's a small it's a small city right, and only having one representative um, apart from the mayor and and some of like you were saying some of these people are kind of coasting into it um, on their incumbency and they're just kind of riding and this is both. You know, progressives and the the you know the more right wing ones, um, who should really be challenged on their record, um, and and we're sadly not seeing that because of the lack of challengers sometimes, but also just the, the to be honest, like the the power of incumbency. It's just that seeing that name around because there's such. Low attention paid to the municipal level. If your name has been out for four years, you know, on the little flyer that comes in or, or whatever, or on the compost heap every spring, when you right. know it's like compost, those free compost days in the parks are like the cocaine for homeowners in Toronto because the people just come out and snort it up with their shovels. And but it's always like the counselor who presents it, like here, um, here's the counselor giving you the free shit, literally. <laughs> um, so anyway, that name is everywhere. And you know, when people, you know, will see it and just kind of the familiar uh breeds well i guess contempt but it's also also just breeds familiarity right if you're just looking for oh i i recognize that person
0: uh so might as well put it on the ballot yeah
2: i mean i'd also like to bring up like some reporting done by the local uh which shows that this isn't really like a big city problem right this is a toronto problem Mm -hmm. um vancouver's average incumbency is five years they found right and in toronto it's 13 right (laughs) uh in Montreal and in New York City, it's two years, right? So, I mean, which is a little extreme. Like maybe they need, maybe they do
1: need four years to get something done. But sure, yeah. fair. But I mean, thirteen, and
2: I'm thinking, you know, um, this this person is just hanging around because they can.
1: Yeah, and we have some who are almost 18 years now or I mean we have one that's 28 years but that's, that's <laughs> we can consider uh, Francis Nizia an outlier um, mm-hmm. a strange outlier uh, but we have a bunch that are hitting 18 we've got in in 2013 or sorry 2003 um, or even 2006 but that's verging on 20 years now and so you have voters who are this might be their first election 18 year olds and if they lived in the ward the entire life like they've had one counselor their entire life yeah, and and this is the first time they get to vote, and the incumbent kind of slides in. Like, if you were eighteen and you sort of paid attention to municipal politics, it would be kind of depressing. It's like, why did everyone talk about voting being such a big deal? It's like, what's the point of this?
0: Yeah, it's as if nothing ever changes, um, despite uh, you know election day uh, looming pretty close. Uh, is there something both of you are, are watching for, like that you want to happen in these crucial coming weeks? Uh, I'll start with you, Kano
2: i mean i know i know uh John Lawrence has written about um these debates or this debate uh more accurately uh I am really hoping that we see at least one more debate at least one before uh you know um early voting is uh is up and started yeah i mean i honestly have no idea what John Tory or any of the uh you know candidates for mayor. Uh, think of each other's platforms, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've seen them all present what they want to do, but I haven't seen them talk to each other. Uh, and and that's pretty concerning in a local democracy.
1: Yeah, I would love to see Tory actually challenged on things. In the debate, he kind of has to be challenged. Like even from the media point of view, like he's he does this kind of ghost campaign, right? He shows up to things and his itinerary says FYI only, like there's no media involvement. It's very... Um, i don 't want to say Trumpish, but it kind of was like when Trump would show up and like not take any media like the, no one could ask the media can 't ask him a question because he's he 's unavailable, so at least at a debate he'll he 'll have to talk but so i haven 't like totally given up on the mayor election because things happen, um, and there are some good candidates running against him, which you should pay attention to. but I think i 'll probably be watching the council races more because there are some that are a bit closer despite the incumbency advantage, and there are some open wards mm-hmm. that will be interesting to change, and even though we 're twenty five Five, you know counselors um now there's still some races that could make the next four years different in, in in city hall and maybe maybe um challenge the tory agenda from within yeah so so pay attention to that stuff
0: i mean of course with the caveat of uh, we'll we'll see how this strong mayor legislation checks out but i think enough has kind of been said about that uh and We'll just have to see how it happens in practice. But I am I am pretty tired of talking about Doug Ford, uh, uh, you know, a, a provincial level politician. Uh, every time we have a municipal election, he should not be the star of uh, of Toronto elections. Uh, and yet,
1: as somebody who's written about Toronto for. A decade and a half now i am i too am tired of talking about doug ford he's been this constant for like the whole time almost uh weaving in and out at different positions it's like let's have a change of characters right like even like a big broadway show they change the they change the actors sometimes you yeah. know to make it interesting he should not be
0: the main character of toronto
1: <laughs> which i mean at this point i should probably mention that
2: you know i grew up in rexdale yeah and uh the fords are the main characters of uh, canadian
1: politics period.
2: Like, like, like that, right. that, that's, you know, growing up that my entire idea of what a Canadian
0: politician was, was Rob Ford
1: three uh, generations of it. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. And, and, and counting, <laughs> uh, it may never end, but, uh, <laughs> um, I wanted to talk a little bit, uh, I mean, Sean, you, you've written about a bunch about this, but, uh, Kunal, the two of us have experienced it just living in the city. Like mm-hmm. this is a city that doesn't take state of good repair seriously. And, uh, it is a city I think of, Massive potential and like truly great places in any corner of the city uh but we don't really love or cherish that infrastructure, and we kind of let it go to pot um so uh whoever wants to start but like <laughs> state of good repair is something that you'd really like to see uh talked about in the mayoral race or at the local councilor level um and and you know what what needs to change so that uh we uh we don't have the status quo of overflowing garbage cans and water fountains that don't work
1: and things that you've, you've, Sean have written extensively about. Locked bathrooms, even after the mayor said he was going to, you know, it's all going to change. Right. He said that this year and he said that last year and it didn't change much. Yeah. I hope one of the things I would hope for watching is like a, a bit of a public space revolution, which is also probably not going to happen but like some excitement around public space and and taking care of it because the pandemic showed us how important it was to Torontonians in this city that's increasingly you know people living in apartments more and more and people renting people who do not have their backyards people who certainly do not have cottages and and how important the public spaces are and to see that match that that importance matched by our public officials or the people running um, would be really nice to see. Um, but Toronto, you know, I, we've been on the list of you know best cities and this and that, best place to invest, best place to live, whatever quality of life for years. Um, and those lists are all dubious. Like their 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 methodology is all dubious, right? But they yeah. they appear. Uh, we appear on this, and I think it's really fed into this kind of mythology of Toronto being this like great place, which it is a great place. I mm-hmm. still love it here, um, but it's a real kind of cliche of resting on the laurels like we don't take care of this like we're very good at announcing a new park you know all the politicians love to come out and do that but then it starts to go to shit almost immediately the grass kind of goes and like the, the bathroom schedule won't be locked up. So it would be really nice to see that. But Toronto has a long history of crummy state of good repair. I'm thinking the moment you say that phrase, I think of 1995 and the um, Russell Hill subway disaster when the subway was coming down from Sinclair West Station it smashed into a parked subway at DuPont Station and three people died and a bunch of people were injured. Um, and the reason for that um, crash was state of good repair Mm -hmm. was let go in the constant, you know, budget cuts of things. So, you know, we were, you know, maybe expanding subways and and building new things, but we weren't taking care of what we have.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the average voter, like, I mean, I I don't know about the average voter, maybe myself. uh, I know that our public parks and our uh, public infrastructure is not in good condition, Mm -hmm. but I have a limited, uh, you know, and a faith in council to actually address those things because it's been so chronic that living in crummy conditions is kind of, you know, the status quo. It's what you expect uh, in the city.
1: I think it's important to travel. It was nice to travel this summer a bit and see other places. And places that aren't as wealthy as Toronto and the care that they put into public spaces is amazing. Um, I mean, you just go up the road to Montreal. Montreal's not as rich as Toronto. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And the public spaces... Is, are are often you know just, it seems like a different planet than mm-hmm. Toronto than of course European places but like even even you know poor the poorer parts of Europe you know southern Italy uh, Lisbon you know these places value public space in in such a way that that it, it's it's as important as you know water and electricity it seems and maybe as more people rely on the, our public spaces because they are apartment dwellers of various kinds maybe the culture of you know caring and demanding um, mm. but I think I I think it takes people to, you know, call and like when someone knocks on your door wanting your vote, ask them what they're going to do, like specifically ask for specifics, not, not just some boilerplate. Um, but after the election, you know, demand it every time and Mm -hmm. and be a, be a gadfly, um, annoy them because that's the only way it seems to get them to move on this stuff.
0: Absolutely. And still on, uh, the idea of public space that, um, that has been sort of on the at least the mayoral agenda because, uh, Gil Penalosa is one of probably the best shot at, uh, uh, at challenging, uh, Toria at this point. Um, this is not an endorsement. It's just, it, it seems to be, that's my read of it. I could be wrong. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he had very much, a. a he launched his campaign specifically with ideas around improving public spaces and also reflecting on what we saw with the uh, terrible encampment evictions uh, throughout the pandemic uh, and this whole debate about who is public space for. Um, so I'm happy to see that uh, actually on the agenda. Again, we'll see if uh, if someone like uh, Mr. Penalosa actually gets a chance to uh, to challenge uh <laughs> you know, uh, Tory or, or or some of the uh, uh, hopeful council candidates uh, can say, why didn't you stop this if you're a progressive? And uh, why did you vote for this? Uh, you know, if you're a more uh, well, a sort of less sympathetic kind of councillor to people who are in need and have nowhere to go. Um,
1: so I, I hope to see that. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. If Tory was, wasn't so committed to the status quo, like in his bones, in his DNA, it seems, um, after watching him for eight years, hoping for the best. Like I, th- I've said this before, like I think Tory could have been our Bloomberg, you know, our center right guy for better or for worse, who just kind of let stuff happen, you mm-hmm. know, like kind of really, cha- um, let stuff happen, really kind of champions change, mm-hmm. um, which he did in New York City in, in various ways. Uh, but that's not what Tory is at all. Like if Tory, if Tory, uh, was wise, if his team was wise, they would just look at Gil Penelos's campaign stuff and just steal a ton of it and just say, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Right. Um, and I think, you know, in uh, I think Gil is probably running a, a bit of a, uh, a law, obviously like a Hail Mary um, thing, but also we're running a can idea of campaigns, which is, which is, um, quite useful in democracy. Even if you think you know, you're going to lose mm-hmm. putting out ideas, getting kind of people excited about things will influence the other side. And I just don't see Tory kind of picking it up. So it's just, the status it's just such a fidelity to the status quo that is it kind of blows my brain
2: yeah i mean you know i think what toronto needs is 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 leadership with great imagination you know and and, and bold ideas and all that stuff but it it, post eight years of john tory uh, all you really need to do to challenge him in a significant way is to say basic things like we need to clean up the parks and we need to not be extremely violent to our unhoused neighbors and you know, that's radical in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the status, it's, it's not just that John Tory upholds the status quo, but that he, uh, in upholding the status quo, he's actually like allowed us by, by not acting on any of this stuff, right. By, by being kind of this cartoon mayor who cuts ribbons and shakes hands. Uh, he hasn't, you know, it, it, living in Toronto feels like uh, being in a boiling pot of water where things are getting worse around you, but not fast enough for, you know, Anyone to take radical action?
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm having a brain freeze right now. What's that thing where the 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 window shifts of politics? Oh, the Overton window. The Overton window has shifted to. It's usually used in a different context towards like fascism, I guess, or whatever. But in this case, the Overton window has shifted to like blah, yeah. do nothing. apathy,
2: yeah.
0: mediocrity. Yeah. Um, and and I will say, like, it, you know, as as someone who who covers this stuff, it, it's frustrating that Tory often throughout the past eight years has said all the right things often uh, he says of course of course we care about poverty and of uh, more recently of, of course we're gonna we're gonna look at police reform and some things sometimes the needle moves sometimes it doesn't so of course we want vision zero um and then sort of have this kind of half-baked uh version of vision zero that is not what the term ever meant but you know uh, so he does talk the talk. Uh, he says all the things that uh, everyone wants to hear. He's for the lefties. He's like uh, you, you know, lefties over here. <laughs> he says uh, you know, we're, we're, I care about all these things that you care about. Of course I do. Uh, and on, for the right, he says, uh, but I, I'm not going to raise your taxes. Don't even worry about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, whether or not any of that ever comes out to bear, I don't think he's ever been challenged uh, to to defend his record. And yeah, I guess we're we're still bemoaning um that, that maybe he won't be. But uh yeah, I, I would like it to be put to him that uh, you know, you can't keep getting away with saying that you care about all these things, trying to be all things to all people, um, and just never delivering.
1: I do think those four years of like all that should probably come home to roost. Um, which is not great for us who live in the city and for a lot of people in Toronto, especially vulnerable people. But you know, in chatting with people, with chatting with you, Glenn, and maybe even you came up with this idea before. Like, if if a, if a Gil Penalosa or a Jennifer Keys met won this year, or some other kind of progressive challenger, um, they would have like a uh, like a. Huge play of trouble, um, oh, yeah. you know, like the fixing that Toronto needs to, you know, to turn the ship around, you know, because it's not, it's like it's it's easy to live in Toronto, like you say, it's, it's a frog boiling in the water or whatever, um, like you don't a lot of people don't notice until they notice, right? Mm-hmm. And people who can't afford the place have noticed, mm-hmm. um, people who um, you know, rely on the parks have noticed, but other people have not, but they'll slowly notice more and more. But to turn this around in the next four years is going to be a monumental effort. So. If whoever comes in, whoever gets elected next month is going to have to own that. And so, and this is a little pessimistic and cynical, but maybe it's better that Tory owns it. Um, And then... In four years, uh, maybe there'll be change. Which is which is a horrible, cynical, sad thing to say because that's twelve years of Tory, and then you know sixteen years altogether of uh, if you get, if you count Rob Ford, whose mm-hmm. policies were his, his his behavior was very different, but his policies were not that different than than Tories. So that's that's sixteen years of uh, the fourth biggest municipality in North America, sort of being on pause and in the status quo. Yeah, I mean. I don't know how much faith uh, I
2: would keep in, in, you know, uh hoping that people w- wake up to this uh, in four years, because I mean, in, in Toronto talking about how bad transit is and how, how expensive housing is, it has been like small talk for almost a decade, yeah. at least in my entire adult life, you know? Um So I don't, it, I mean, in four years, what's to say that we aren't just going to say, Oh, look, housing is more expensive. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know if if it's waiting for like a boiling point of frustration is uh, going to get us there or if it's ever going to happen, really, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: I would notice things like in writing about the housing crisis and affordability over the last few mm-hmm. years, like more and more middle class people who probably never thought about it would see like, especially boomers or whatever people who have kids who are millennials or, uh, Gen Z's who are kind of going out into the world and realize that their kids will never afford something in Toronto and are thinking about leaving the city, the city that maybe that they came to or have lived to their entire life comfortably. And there's these little light bulbs going on, um, here and there, but, but you're probably right that it's, it's not enough to, you know, have this kind of mass, um, revelation
2: yeah i mean the the revolution is always waiting
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and i, I will say I, I don't know whose version is more cynical but uh, there is a there is a world where Tory is reelected and and then he finally has to wear his inability inability to affect change because uh we're in such a, a backlog from the pandemic there's also a world where he skates once again because he said, well, I tried my best but you know i, I was
1: i was digging us out of the pandemic uh so he could, I was hamstrung by council. I didn't have... A, yeah. But maybe if he has strong mayor powers now, we can't blame that. Yeah. If he really uses those veto powers, then he at, at least... He must have to wear that, whatever he decides when he uses those powers. You should have put a trigger warning five minutes ago. Just this is the most cynical part of our conversation. <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> try. It's just <laughs> drooping cynicism. Like, are we, are, are we waiting for John Tory to drink, dig his own grave? Is
2: basically where we're at right now. I just, I just, I just, <laughs>
0: we'll see if I can pull us out of it. But uh, first, um, you know, still on John Tory and promises made, promises not kept. Uh, you know. It, he is also sat on the police board the entire time he is he's been the mayor um uh, he's made promises to change uh, uh earlier this year the Toronto police services themselves said what everyone already knew especially marginalized uh, racialized people uh that yes there is systemic racism in the police force and and so uh you know that was a headline kind of early going into this campaign uh Kunal and I have both written uh pieces in the uh just now out uh spacing election issue about uh well being and uh that kind of thing that re- you know reform a, m- a more gentler approach to um you know people impoverished people in mental health crisis uh in people who who are using substances um i haven't seen anything from uh either Tory or or Gil penalosa uh, about police reform. And I, I was really hoping that, uh, especially after the encampment evictions, especially after the George Floyd protests and Black Lives Matter things, uh, especially after the you know the calls to change, uh, the, the formerly Ryerson, now Metropolitan University, uh, I was hoping that there would be some kind of thing on the agenda about like, okay, uh, it seems like this is a problem. Everyone's acknowledged this is a problem. What does actually fixing the problem or even just, you know, even just kicking the tires of the problem. What does that look like? Uh, Kunal, have you been thinking about this? Yeah. I mean,
2: challenging the police for any elected official is tough because the police kind of functions as its own political party, you know? Yeah. Um, And they exercise a lot of power, uh, I think, publicly, but also in the background. And I think for anybody challenging, you know, for anyone challenging John, John Tory right now, for example, uh, talking about the police, uh, I'm sure there's concern about, well, what if I get elected, God forbid, and then I actually have to go through with police reform mm-hmm. and the uphill battle that would be because of this, you know, uh, giant machine that has a billion dollars of funding and, uh, you know, moves against politicians who uh, even mention maybe reducing that number a little.
1: You know. Yeah, they, they get political fast. And the, there's a history in Toronto of, police um going after politicians you know this oh, was yeah. 20 years ago and uh there was the true blue campaign where they would um basically there's a, a list of unfriendly to the police counselors and if you didn't give to the police association um You were kind of on this list, but it was basically an, a, an intimidation thing to like, you know, don't, don't rock the boat, don't rock our boat. Um, yeah, it's confound. I mean, and this is, again, bigger than Toronto, too. Of course, this is Canada-wide and North America-wide and beyond. Um, So it's daunting, police reform, which is, you know, my naive little brain sometimes is like, the police, you know, you choose to be a police officer. Like what, like, like, you know, people are all regular kids in grade school and some of them go to be police. Like you're not born a police officer. Like, like change is possible, but then it seems so impossible.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an insular club, right? Um, I know many police officers have talked about the, uh, backlash they get for speaking out even within police departments, much less publicly. Mm-hmm. Right. And we've seen how the police handle like, uh, sexual misconduct within the force and stuff like this. Um, yeah so it doesn't it, i don't think it surprises me just because there's it's from what i can tell there's a group mentality within policing that is um you know just very resistant to reform on any level
0: right uh and you know you you've written as well in in your very good piece uh the sun is always in in your eyes in rexdale um you know you, you've talked about how uh you know, instances of gun violence have been used as a sort of a political cudgel, uh, where, you know, it, it's, it's a scary enough thing that uh, it, it, it distracts people from what's actually going on. I mean, you, you give the example of the summer of the gun, so-called in, in 2005. And what that was really about was, uh, uh, busting up, uh, the gangs and, uh, they're kind of being in a power imbalance, a cultural imbalance, uh, and, uh, the, the the widespread effects of that for like the, the following decade but uh um rather than talk seriously about uh how that could have been handled differently um you know people um people's personal tragedies uh, you know unfortunately violent violence does happen uh you know that was kind of trotted out as like well we need to double down and keep doing what we've been doing um i don't know how we get out of that mentality but i, I don't hear it being talked about this election
2: I mean, I think for me, it's, it's, it's about as simple as, um, looking at gun violence and looking at community violence as a public health problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we talk a lot about the victims of gun violence rightfully, Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't speak about as much as the perpetrators, right? We don't talk about the fact that it's kids shooting kids Mm -hmm. uh, for the large part. And you know, what, Brings a 16-year-old to pick up a gun and shoot somebody, right? Uh, what are the material conditions this person is living with? Um, I mean, is there any hope for any of that to be addressed in in a in this election? I mean, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it so far. Um, yeah, you know?
1: yeah, And we had the. I mean, we just got a new chief uh, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, you know, the interim chief, interim chief was there for two years. I mean, forever, like, um, since when the, the previous guy quit early. Um, and so there was no, like, it seemed like there was no fire to like, you know, get a new chief in who's going to be a reformer. And, and now they've picked a chief from within. Right. So, um, which is, um, a few, I saw a few commentators saying like, this is a bit unusual sometimes. Like a lot of other cities will pull someone in from somewhere else. So they're not part of the same culture, even though they are part of police culture. Um, and you know, the current chief, the new, the brand new chief has been there for 30 years. Um, um, like how do you reform your, the, the thing that you were a part of, that you're friends with, that you're, you know, you, that you grew up with and, and also 20 years ago, you know, like it's not that long ago, it's in living memory of all kinds of people. You know, this current, this new chief was one of the people that went inside the Pussy Palace lesbian bathhouse. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was an intimidating, um, uh, b- creepy thing that happened, uh, back in 2000. And, you know, this chief was one of them. Yeah. It was, it was human rights abuse. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah and that happened so quietly um again it's it's been uh too quiet out there uh, and, and uh, I know there are good people uh, doing the work and reporting on these things but uh yeah it, it's concerning how how there
1: hasn't been much conversation about something as important as who who the police chief is going to be yeah I mean it's been report like the reporting is there I think and I'm, I don't mean to be defensive of the media as a member of it so you can take that with a grain of salt but the reporting's there but it takes people to get angry about it and back to your beginning points about this election we're just in this kind of weird stage of apathy in a city that is actually quite exciting and big and growing and has all these huge pressures on it it should actually be one of the most incredibly exciting and you know robust democratic exercises that we're going through you know at this time in Toronto's period uh and we're not Um, like last night I was watching tweets from a bunch of um, Vancouver Uh, people, city hall people uh, that I follow in the media and the mayoral debate, one of their mayoral debates that they were having was so robust and their arguments. And it was all these ideas. And I was just like looking at that, going like, I looking at that and thinking about the void in Toronto of that kind of conversation. And um, it made me a bit sad. Um, I'd also like to talk,
0: especially as someone who grew up in Rexdale. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, when we talk about Toronto, uh, you know, for better or worse, Rob Ford brought it into a stark, uh, you know, he made it headline news, but there is this divide between the the sort of inner suburbs and the downtown core. Um, that's also something that I, I haven't heard a lot about recently, but I don't think it's because it's not still an issue. Um, and so, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, is there, uh, is there something you you'd like to see in, in like a mayoral platform or just, uh, in a council race that, uh, sort of, brings these issues of that very real divide in in terms of opportunity in terms of uh, you know uh, wages and and uh, access to transit services all that kind of thing um you know what do we need to see to to forefront those uh, in maybe just a less of a battering ram style than uh, we were used to with the 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 former mayor <laughs>
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I know in, in Scarborough, um, there are a lot of challengers who are talking about this, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the conversation is there. I, I, I do think it's not necessarily being listened to. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of reasons for this. I mean, I, I mean, I, I can only really speak out of my own experience, but, but, uh, as a racialized person or as a, as an immigrant, Uh, it can be really hard to feel as if anything that happens in city council has anything to do with you because, I mean, part of it is the fact that we have like this incredibly like monolithically white city council, Mm. right? Um, which kind of feeds into this pattern of, of immigrant life where access to, you know, civic life is mediated by largely elderly, sometimes smiling well meaning white folk um where you feel pressured to you know express gratitude at all times for just being here um where challenging you know, uh, the quality of life that you have in Toronto feels like uh, blasphemous to that expectation um i, I mean I- i'd love to see you know the the reason this stuff is really hard to talk about is because it's really hard to quantify right? right right. Nobody's walking around Scarborough saying, you know does the obligation of gratitude affect your political agency? right No one's doing that survey um,
1: Maybe
2: yeah <laughs> for, for five years <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I think in a lot of ways that emotional stuff or that um you know the lack of a sense of place or a sense of belonging within. Our political institutions has a lot to do with um, why immigrants don't engage with these issues and also why politicians are hesitant to engage these populations on these issues.
1: And a lot of racialized communities can't vote because they're not yet Canadian citizens too so i mean if you can't vote like what's your it's 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 rep, whatever without representation yeah. right um taxation without representation and there are, there are, there were nascent movements to get new canadians the vote at the municipal level i know mm-hmm. it was like my friends who live in london england they're not uk citizens but they get to vote for the mayor and their council um I wonder if that might, you know, that that might be a small thing. It won't be everything, um, but that might help a little bit. But I remember like when I walked around with candidates in the past in in big towers out in in North York, um, one of the candidates told me that, you know, some higher ups, you know, those probably those smiling white people um, who were installed in the political machine said, don't bother going into that building. Those people don't vote. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, probably some of them can't vote. Um, so there is like almost like huge populations of Toronto and all their concerns are written off, and and that feeds back into it being homeowners, largely white homeowners, wealthier homeowners who hold the political power in the city and hold the ears of both left and right wing politicians.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's a real problem. Um, you know,
1: I, I
2: this stuff it, it gets tricky just because. You know, I don't want to cast a broad brush and say that, that, uh, racialized or immigrant populations, uh, don't care about politics. You know, that's not the case, especially about local politics. I mean, um, the issues on the table affect us day to day, right? Uh, we all know what it's like being late to work because of transit. We all know that it's getting harder and harder to live, uh, in the city because of the cost of housing. You know, um, the issues themselves are, are deeply important people you know in every corner of the city but uh without the right kind of representation without a, a communication um i mean the the, sp- the concerns
0: specific to these populations are never going to be to be bought to the table yeah and it seems to me and you, you can correct me if i'm wrong but uh it seems like in the inner suburbs, uh, a lot of communities do their sort of l- their own local organizing, um, you know, at a at a very like neighborhood level or, um, you know, that they're not waiting for uh, they're not waiting for city council to come and, and fix the problems or, or create spaces for them. Uh, the, um, I mean, in a way, that's a good news story, but it's also like, well, then w- what is city council for?
2: Yeah, I mean, I you know, going back to pessimism or cynicism about this election. If there's one thing that gives me hope in Toronto, it is seeing these hyper-local initiatives um, that are doing incredible work on on, on all fronts, you know, to address um, things that matter to people whose voices are totally blanked out of uh, public discourse at large.
0: It seems like it would behoove uh, an aspiring uh, council candidate uh, to to engage with these communities in a meaningful way, um, or even even better uh, if uh if we happen to see more people from these communities actually um you know being able to to run and, and feeling like um that 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 is something within their reach and and i know it's uh, a lot has been said about the the cuts to council seats and uh, there are so many barriers and, and ways to discourage all kinds of people from running but uh yeah i i hope that is a discussion that we see in in the in the coming weeks and i, I I hope council candidates get serious about that. Um, but uh yeah. I uh I promise to turn this around and uh, <laughs> and uh leave on a on a happy you know, aspiring note. Um I guess I will say that uh it's not over yet. Um, you know, I, I don't have a dog in the race. I I, I don't uh, I don't do endorsements or anything like that, but uh uh I am I am grateful that public space is at least like a, a centerpiece of uh, more than one uh, mayoral candidate's platform. Uh, is there anything that uh, so far, and I'm trying not to make you do too much heavy lifting, but has there anything that has excited you about this race, either at the mayoral level or the council level so far, and, and that you'd like to see uh, see keep going?
2: I mean, you know, for me, it, it's it's certain like – council level campaigns that that give me a little bit of hope a little a little spark you know Mm -hmm. um i'm thinking of like uh, kemi lamo in in parkdale who is like this person who's incredibly articulate and and younger than me you know um and is very clear-eyed and and challenging uh, the incumbent in, in, in that district and like i just I I think in in general, for me, it's like it's seeing bright young people uh, take these issues up and and address them boldly. I mean, um, which, you know, even if we get former years of John Tory, I hope we see more of that uh, in this and future elections.
1: Yeah, I've been impressed by uh, Progress Toronto, which is sort of the sort of is the progressive kind of uh advocacy organization they endorsed a whole bunch of candidates um but they have not endorsed any incumbents not even progressive incumbents so they've tried to put a focus on these younger not all younger sorry you know there's people from all ages can enter politics and do lots of good um of course but the young ones are are kind of exciting because they'll be around a while longer than me um and that's, I think, I mean, that's always the the, the the faith. And some of these incumbents that are just kind of rolling through for the 16th, 18th, 28th year, like they can't do it forever, or maybe they can Um <laughs> Anyway, and there is there is like an, a small army of people that, you know, care a lot about this place and love this place and are more reflective of this place. And I think don't have the same kind of baggage, whether it's the cynicism that I seem to be dripping with now, um, or or the kind of like political hangups that people on the left and the right have because of the way City Hall works. And, you know, it's okay to go in there and say, well, I'm going to do it differently. I'm not going to do it the same way all the lefties have in, in the past, which I don't think has been served Toronto always that way. Well especially in things like housing and and public space and all that sort of thing so um, yeah I mean I teach at University of Toronto I teach first year class about civics and we talk it's basically teaching the city so it's an exciting term the fall term whenever it's an election term um, and my students which is a small self selected set it doesn't it doesn't map to anything but my class but um, they're all wonderful and engaged and not cynical. And that every Thursday when I'm done my class, I feel totally good about the world because it's like, Oh, it's going to be in good hands. Mm -hmm. Um, which is such a cliche to say the kids are the future, but, um, they are the renewal that keeps saving us. I think.
0: Well, uh, I, I think, did we do it? I, I'm not sure if we did, but, uh, you know, to be continued, uh, in the meantime, uh, Kunal, do you have anything to promote and where can people find your work? I should have a website. Uh, Google me. Uh, I, I'm at the Western
2: Phoenix. I'm the associate editor. I'm also um, an investigative journalist at the Humber College Story Lab. Um, and I write in multiple places. And you're on uh, Twitter? And I am on Twitter. You tweet all your pieces out, yeah. I, I try.
0: <laughs> and, uh, Sean, well, people people know where to find you, but... Uh,
1: you, I guess mostly just writing my Toronto Star thing out for the election, and my book, for, sorry, book plug, uh, my book Frontier City was about the Toronto election, and and you know I walked with candidates, and all the issues that we talked about a few years ago with these candidates um, from downtown to to Rexdale and to the edge of Pickering, um, they're still there, and they still are unanswered, and some of them are worse. So I think it's a okay, Frontier City is a fairly good backgrounder on on how we got here, and you know it's the, it's the same characters, John yeah. Tory uh rob doug ford uh etc so it's still relevant because they haven't left it is still relevant and you can find that book at 401
0: richmond street west toronto ontario uh thank you both uh, so much and uh happy election thank you thanks glenn and that is the show thanks as always for listening. If you liked this election special, please tell your friends and share it around on social media. Let's get people out to the polls. I make this podcast with Neil Hinchley, who composes our music, and you can find that music on SoundCloud at track 82. That's all spelled out. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or scoops, you can tweet at us at spacing radio, that's all one word, or email me at glennbowerman at spacing.ca. That's G O Y N B O W E R M A N at spacing.ca. Visit our website at spacing.ca where we have non-stop election coverage. Visit our city store at 401 Richmond Street West in Toronto. And don't forget to pick up our special election issue of the magazine. Cheers.